0: Welcome to the Basin Church Podcast, and as a church, our mission is to bring hope and wholeness through Jesus Christ. And no matter where you are and as you listen today, we hope that you find hope in Jesus and even move one step closer to being made whole. Continuing our series called One Small Step, because it is one small step from an invite to coming to know Jesus. It's one small step to back to Jesus. So uh, we're in we're our third part here, and um, I don't know if you, when you were growing up, um, if you had goals. You know, I don't know if as an adult you have goals. I don't know if you get on January and you write down all these goals and the things you want to see for the new year, or maybe you come to school year, or whatever it is, perhaps you do that. Perhaps you don't. Um, I don't know if I really had goals as a kid. I mean, I think I had some goals, right? I had this is what I want to be when I grow up. This is what I want to do. Um, I know when it came to high school sports, we had a goal. Uh, when I was a junior, I was playing basketball. And when I was playing basketball, we, we got to a certain point in the playoffs. And uh, we, we uh, went to you know another team. This other team beat us by a couple points. And I remember coming to my senior year, and our goal as a team was to get back to that point but we just didn't want to get back to that point with that team. We wanted to win and eventually go on to semifinals, eventually go on to state finals. Um, we lost, obviously, in the semifinals. But we, uh, we had goals as a team. We had goals. And, and I remember just growing up, I had a goal to be something. Like, that's what I wanted to be. That's what I set out to be. But the reality is this. We all have personal goals, and we all have professional goals. Right? And personal goals, you might have written them down personally, Lately, you might have them in the back of your head, this is what I want to do, this is my goal for my family, this is my goal for for me as an individual, this is my goal. And so you write these things down and it might be from, hey, I, I want to run or I want to walk 20 minutes a day, I want to read a book a week, I want to learn how to cook, right? Maybe perhaps you want to save a certain amount of money every month, but you have these little goals in mind and they're small goals and they're obtainable goals and you want to have these personal goals in your life and you want to accomplish them. Now, that doesn't always happen, but we have the, the kind of this idea and where we want to go and how we're going to accomplish it. But when you talk about those, those are small goals, right? Small goals. Waking up, you know, and, and walking 20 minutes or, or eating healthier or saving a little money, that's, that's kind of small goals. And it pays out in the long run, but there are people who have big goals. And they have big goals and they want to do things before they die. They have things before uh, when they retire, they have goals. They have all these kind of these. Just what they want to do. And then what I'm thinking is they want to either go someplace, right? Or they want to do something before, uh, in retirement, before retirement, or before they die, right? And the phrase is we say what? It's our bucket list, right? It's our bucket list. My bucket list is, and you can name it, my one bucket list, and I don't know if I'll ever get there, but it's to go to every baseball park in America. Just just something I've always wanted to do, right? So I'm sure you have those things like I want to travel or you want to do something. But when you think about those are personal goals, right? Big big goals, small goals. Now let's talk about professional goals. Many of you have professional goals. And when you go to your work, they might even force you to have professional goals, right? Right? Some of you are like, ah, I hate goals, right? But some of you, they're actually forcing you to have goals. They want to see growth in your life. They want to see growth as you as an individual as you move throughout your work, and, and perhaps that, you, know, you have to write them down, perhaps you have them in your head, but they want to see you move in a professional manner and see you grow in the job you currently are. Now for some of us, you have your, your personal goals will line up with those professional goals. And What I mean by that is, for some of you, you go to your work and you go, well, I have high aspirations and a high goal to be in management, or I have a higher goal to move up in this position. Right? So you're per, you're, you have these personal ambitions, these personal goals, but they line up with your professional as well. And so you're thinking, this is what I want to do in my career. Right? And let's just be honest all of us want to pick a career that we love. Right? And so we move up. But let me ask you this that is our life, that's professional, that is personal. But what is the goal and what is the purpose of Christianity? What is the goal or the purpose of you becoming or, or giving your life to Jesus and being a Jesus follower? What is the, what is the goal? Because, listen, we, if I sat down right now and we went out afterwards, we would have, I would have many, many definitions, many answers of what that means. And for some people, what it means is this. They come to church and they're satisfied. Right? I've given my life to the Lord. I'm good with it. I'm content with who I am. I'm content with where I'm going. And they just come to church and they don't really progress even further than that. They just come and they, they get fed. They come to church because that's the thing they're supposed to do. And they're content with that. And they don't ever really grow from that. They just kind of sit and they're kind of stagnant. And they don't really ever grow. And what I say is by that is they don't ever become effective, right? If Jesus came to give life to the fullest, it wasn't just to sit and it wasn't just to do that. But there's also people who have this idea, too, that they believe that it is more than just sitting. It's growing, it's obeying, and it is walking in righteousness. However, some people like that, they'll come in in church and, you know, they kind of isolate themselves sometimes and they don't want anyone to really know them. They don't want to be authentic. And they just think, well, I'm good and I'm content with who I am. And maybe I'll go and I'll grow and I'll grow in a Bible study or I'll grow in a group and I'm good with that. But that's the, that's the furthest they ever get. right? And again, they're not fully living effectively the way God wants them to live. Now, yes, they are growing a little, but not to the full extent that he wants to do in their lives. And so we have this kind of this purpose and this, all these different kinds of questions. And, and so the reality for all of us is, what does it mean? What is the goal after salvation? Because when we get to that point, when you've given your life to Jesus, what is your purpose? What are you sp- supposed to do? And I think when we, today when we drill down on that, we will drill down on that and what we'll do is we'll realize there's a Idea of effective living, and there's an idea of effective evangelism. And how, how those two go, coincide, and what the Lord wants to do. And so when you begin to ask this question, and ponder this question, maybe you're thinking this. Is this obtainable? Is this realistic? Is the goal that, that God wants or has for me, is this something I can do? Well, if you look at the scripture, if you look at the scripture, and you look at Jesus' words, here's what they would both say, and they'd both line up. Yes. What I have for you is obtainable, and what I have for you is realistic. And you say, any Jesus follower, you can do this. See, the goal is not to just to come and sit. The goal is, is not to just come sit and grow. And the, it, There's more than that. It's to give, he gives us the life to the fullest. And so God wants us to live a life that is full. And as, as we do that, sometimes we can, even though we're growing, and even, time, even at times we're doing things, we kind of miss out on other people. We kind of miss out on others' needs. Because if you're, you're a Christian, and here's what we as, as Christ followers believe, we believe that there is eternal separation if you do not have a relationship with Jesus. And so someone obviously shared that with us. Someone obviously told us that if you're a Jesus follower, and then you, oh man, I'm not separated. I'm good. I'm, I'm in good with Jesus. But we forget That And we forget to be concerned or aware of people outside or that we know that reality, they don't have a relationship with Jesus. And they're separated from Jesus. And so we need to be aware, we need to be concerned about that. So it's not just sitting, it's not just salvation, there's something. and, And some of us are thinking, well that's kind of a tall order. Like that's hard, like you're asking me to go share my faith. But Jesus makes it simple. And he told us it was simple. All right, so what we said the first week is, is, is what you need to do is just explain to people the best part of your life. And what's the best part of your life? It's when you encounter Jesus. It's when you encounter Jesus that people begin to see that you live differently, you respond differently, that you're living uh, differently, and then they say, hey, there's something different about you. And they might ask questions. They might walk into church somewhere else for the first time because they watched or saw you, and you have a chance to share their story. And Jesus says, you can do that. It's not hardy." And he shared it with the woman at the well. And not only that, but the other thing that Jesus asks and requires of his disciples and Jesus' followers, he says, you must love. And it's not just, hey, I, I love you know, my mom or I love my co-worker or somebody else. No, no, no. He says, within the church, we need to love one another. Because what did he say last week? That he has given permission to the world to judge you. And to judge me. And the, and the litmus test right there is what? If we love one another, sure, we have a lot of differences. Sure, we have all walks of life. But what he says is when you naturally and begin to supernaturally love each other, people will see something different about the church. So, from again, not talking and saying that we're hypocrites and saying that we're judgmental, what they say is, wow, well, they're authentic and they're caring. Do you see how they care for one another? Do you see how authentic they are with one another? There's something different about the church. And so when that happens, Jesus says, then they will know you are my believers. You know my disciples. And so really it's not that hard. So is it obtainable to love? Yes. He gives us strength to love one another. He gives us strength to share our story. Well, now Jesus comes to this point in Matthew chapter 28 where we're going to look, and he begins to again impart wisdom, impart a commission and a mission for his disciples. It is the point in Jesus' life now where he is already gone to the cross. He's died, buried for three days, and now he's resurrected, and he's about to go into heaven, and he's about to ascend off this earth. But before he does that, he wants to gather his disciples and make sure he can commission them to do one more thing before he goes. And so here's what it says in Matthew 28. We're going to look at the very end, and it's verse 16, and here's what it says. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Now, you notice there's not twelve, there's eleven. Judas killed himself was not happy with betraying Jesus. So there's only 11. They go to Galilee, and this is not the first time, okay? This is not the first time that they've seen the resurrected Jesus. It says in Luke's account, and when Luke talks about it, and it says it in John's account, that they actually met him in Jerusalem. So they've already talked to him. They've already met him, and now he's saying, let's go to Galilee. Now, Galilee is very significant here. So Galilee is in the northern part of Israel, around, you've heard, the Sea of Galilee, which is just a lake pretty much. And that's where Jesus did his ministry. That's where he called Peter. That's where he called Andrew. Right Right out of the fishing right there. That's where he calls them. It's the place where they saw Jesus do the the 5,000. He fed the 5,000 on the mountainside. It's where Peter asked Jesus, can you heal my mother-in-law? And he goes in that area down in in Capernaum and he begins to heal his mother-in-law. So it's somewhere they know it's somewhere. It's natural and it's only natural. He says, let's go back to the mountain. Let's go back where I first called you. And before I leave, let me impart this mandate that I have for you. And here's what he says in verse 17. He says, or not says, but look at their reaction, excuse me. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now doubt here is is very different. We think doubt like you doubt it's unbelief and it's intellectual. It's not that the case in the in the Greek here. It's comp- it's different. And what this doubting means is this. It's a natural hesitation when you're confronted by a unique or an impossible occurrence. So it's a, it, it's kind of this, they're they're kind of like oh this this can't be. I mean, is this really Jesus? And so they begin to doubt this Jesus. They doubt, like, it, it's, it's kind of a brief question that they're asking themselves, is this really him? Because in previous times when they've met Jesus or have seen Jesus, there's been something miraculous around it when they meet him. Right? One time he has, you know, he has Elijah and he has Moses at one time. I mean, there's other times where he, he just shows up and he does something miraculous. This time it's just Jesus. Right? So they're thinking, well, is this really him? Because there's nothing miraculously attached to this appearance. So the remedy for their doubt is this, the power and the presence of him right there. And the remedy for their doubt is the truth that he's about to impart in their lives. So here's what he begins to to say in, in the next verse. Verse 18 he says then Jesus came to him and he says all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Now, I want you to pause here for a second because there are three or four key things that Jesus says in these next coming verses and they all have to do with that word all. Okay, so you'll see he'll say all authority. He'll say all nations. He'll talk about this and it's it's encompassing everything. But here's where I want you to kind of see this. He says, what? It says all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It's been given to Jesus. So what does this authority mean? If all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus, see, it's not authority just to affirm his deity. It's not just to affirm that he is the Son of God. It goes way. Deeper than that and there's more to it. See what it does and when you talk about scripture, it talks about heavenly powers It talks about uh, earthly powers. It talks about spiritual beings and it talks about supernatural things So there's powers in, in on earth. There's powers in heaven And so when you talk about scripture what he's he's really saying is when it speaks of this of Christ's death and resurrection It says he has victory over these powers all right, we, we saying it today, like we speak the name of Jesus. It says Jesus drives out demons. Jesus, his name is the name above all other names. So it has been given authority over heaven and earth. And so when he says that it has been given to me over heaven and earth, he's saying this, that my authority is superior and it's over all authorities, whether spiritual, demonic, or otherwise. So Jesus is saying, I am superior over Satan. I'm superior over his demons. I'm superior over the natural wind and the waves. I'm I'm superior over everything. Because I have all authority and I have all power. And so this all authority and this all power, so you and I do not need to fear anything from the enemy. Because if you have Jesus... It's been given to him, and he's saying to his disciples, look, it's been given to me, therefore you don't have to fear anything. It's like a little dog that's just got a little bite. He he doesn't even bite, he's just barking. It's not even going to affect you. He's saying, because of me, I have all this authority. So you're engaged in the service that I've called you to do with this authority. Now he says this. You talk about it being spiritual, but here's the other thing. He has all authority over the earth. He has all authority over your life. Well, what do I mean by that? Jesus has authority over people. When you come, if you're a Christian, and you call yourself a disciple or a follower of Jesus, what happens? Yes, he has has authority over demons. He has authority over the powers in that. He also has authority here on earth through you. What do I mean by that? Well, when you give your life to Jesus, you're saying, Jesus, come in and be what? Lord of my life. Take control of my life. I'm going to heed you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to do what you want me to do in righteousness. Walk in the ways of righteousness. Now, when you give your life over to Jesus, you surrender everything. You don't just give him part of yourself. You give him everything. So what you're saying is, Jesus, I give you all authority and all access to my life. So as a believer, Jesus has authority over our lives to alter, to correct, to direct, and move us in the way he wants us to go. We surrender our life, and a surrender means what? Everything. So now Jesus has authority in our lives to do what he wants in our lives. So he has authority over these demons, he has authority in our lives, and now he's saying with that authority, here's what I want you to do, disciples, here's what I want you to do, Jesus followers. I have given you this authority. Since it's to me, here's what now I want you to do. And he says this in the next verses. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. There it is. Right? I've given all authority. Now I want you to make disciples of all nations. You'll notice this key. All authority, all nations. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach them and obey Everything, which is what? All again, right? Everything inclusive. So I want you not only, here's what I want you to do. I want you to realize that I have all authority to go to all nations, teaching what everything or all that I've taught you and that I've commanded you, right? And then this is so unique to Matthew because as he finishes this, the first thing you've got to understand is that word, therefore. Anytime you see the therefore, and I've said this multiple times, but grasp this here. He's saying, because all authority has given to me, therefore goes back to that verse. So it would be like this. So all authority has been given to me upon earth and heaven. And because of that, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them and, and obey everything that I've commanded you. Because I have the authority and I've given you the authority. So this is pretty interesting with Matthew. He uses that, therefore, but Matthew closes his gospel totally different. Because if you know anything about Matthew, Matthew is this guy, he's this tax collector who's a Jewish guy. Do you know his whole book is for the Jewish community? The whole reason why Matthew is writing what he's writing is because he's trying to show the Jews that Jesus is the son of David. And not only is Jesus the son of David, who was their king in the lineage of of Jesus, which you can see in the first chapter, but he begins to have them notice this, that all those prophecies about the Messiah, Jesus is the fulfillment of those. So he's basically talking to the Jews. Now he switches gears. So he's talking to all the Jews, and Jesus says, now I want you to go to all nations. So he's saying, hey, Jewish men, I don't want you just to go to your Jewish community. I don't want to limit your operations to just your fellow man or your fellow woman who is Jewish. Now I'm asking you to go everywhere. And that includes Gentiles. So it's kind of the spin here that Matthew would do. He kind of talks about this, oh, oh, we're trying to reach the Jewish community, Jewish community, and all of a sudden, nope, now it's for the world. The gospel is just not for the Jews, and, and it's interesting. And so then he says this, what's the nature of what they're supposed to do? Two things, baptize and teach. So he says that the nature of doing these, baptizing and teaching, there was a call for a total commitment into this new community. New community of believers a new community with Jesus. He says, I want you to go baptize them in what? The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to baptize them in that. And when, I, when you baptize them, here's what's going to happen. That act is going to unify them with me. They're making a public de- declaration that they're going to follow Jesus. And they're going to be in one with, with me as the triune God. And so, as he begins to say this, they begin to baptize. They begin to evangelize. Their hearers are evangelized. Then they get baptized. And he says the act would also do this, that they would begin to teach. Right? He commissions them to teach. And he says, do all that I want you to do. You, you evangelize to them. They come. They make a public declaration of their faith. Then I want you to teach them in everything that I've commanded you. And so what Jesus is saying is, I want you to make disciples. That is your commission. And attached to making disciples means this. You're going to go, you're going to baptize, and you're going to teach. And how are you going to do that? You're going to do that, and you reach the world You're going to reach the world, the message of Jesus, and that is what's going to happen. And now, again, Jesus would tell them how this is going to be accomplished in the next verse. So in the last part of verse 20, here's what he says. He says, you will accomplish this, this is how. And I, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So there you go, you got all authority, you have all nations, you're going to teach him in everything or all that I've taught you, and I'm going to be with you all the time. Everything. You see, you see kind of how Jesus says this? And so he would go back to Matthew in the first chapter, and you see this if you're a reader of this after, after all of this, what Matthew's gospel, you would begin to see that when Jesus was born, it said what? God is with you. That he's Emmanuel. He is God with us. And now Jesus says, not only am I God with you, but now I'm going to be with you always until the end of the age. Well, how is he going to do that? He's going to impart the Holy Spirit when he leaves. So now we don't have physical Jesus, but we have the Holy Spirit, and he's with us always, teaching us, commanding us to do what we need to do. And as he says this, he would say, and he he says, I'm going to go, and I've given you this great task But disciples and followers of Jesus, this great task is not supposed to be done on your own strength. See, what I love about Matthew is this. Matthew begins to write and he shows the weaknesses of the disciples. But God was never, and Jesus was never, never put off by their weaknesses. In fact, Jesus said to Peter, I'm going to build my church upon you. And the things and the church began to grow. And and because it didn't matter their weaknesses, God's still going to use them. And so he's looking and saying, I don't want just casual hearers. So when you go and you talk and you teach and you baptize, I'm not looking for people who casually hear. I'm looking for people who are wholeheartedly going to follow me and get in a relationship with me. Not people who just hear it and don't do it. I want people who are willing to get in a relationship with me and begin to do and commission them to do this. So it's it's really interesting. And when you begin to look at how the the church commissions and you look at Peter and and the disciples after Jesus leaves, it is these 11 disciples go out and things happen and great things happen. And when the church does this, when the church has done and, and done this great commission, you know what happens? It prospers. When the church begins to evangelize, when it begins to make disciples, when begins to go, when begins to baptize, when begins to teach the word of God and all things that Jesus commanded, the church prospers. Because when Jesus left the disciples, he said, I want you to wait. And I want you to wait until I, I come. And, and so I want you to go to J- Jerusalem, Samaria, and all the ends of the world, earth. And they're waiting there on the day of, day of Pentecost, and they're waiting there. And all of a sudden, what happens? God shows, the Holy Spirit shows up. And the Holy Spirit shows up, and they begin to speak in tongues, don't they? And, and there's fire on their, on their heads, and they're speaking in tongues, and, and everybody's going, what in the world is going on? We've never experienced this before. And there's many men and many people in that room, and they go, oh, my gosh, he's speaking in Greek, and he's speaking in this, and he's speaking in that, and I hear him, and, I, and they hear in their own native language. And some people are there, and they're going, man, these guys are drunk. It's It's crazy. And Peter goes, no, 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 no. they're not drunk. Let me just tell you what has happened. It's a phenomenon of the Holy Spirit. And he gets up and he begins and he says, let me just tell you, this is the work of Jesus. And he says, Jesus is the one that you crucified, he is risen again, and in fact, he is Messiah. And Peter goes on and he speaks and he talks, and 3,000 people go, I believe that message you just told me. And 3,000 people gave their, their lives to Jesus and they began to be in a fellowship and the church began to grow from that very moment. I mean, we went instantly from 11 to 3,011. The church grew. One little message by Peter. See, and when the church does this, it begins to prosper. And not only that, but Peter goes out and him and John are walking and there's miracles that are performed. So the church, they're teaching and, and doing what Jesus has taught them. And so he goes to this lame man and the lame man goes, hey, can, can you give me something? Can you give me some money? And Peter goes, no, 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 money's not going to do anything for you. He says, silver and gold, I have none. But what? In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. What do he do? Got up and walked. Because all authority is given to who? The name of Jesus. And see, so the the name of Jesus pierced these men's hearts so they got into a relationship and salvation came to them. The the name of Jesus healed this this man, this lame man. See, so the church began to grow with all authority and all power that Jesus gave them. And so they moved. Right? And the church grew. So let me tell you this. it, It prospers and it moves when we get this right. But... It dies and becomes stagnant when the church does not do this. It gets stagnant. It dries out. And what I mean by that is, is the church just dies. Why? Because discipleship brings about evangelism. Discipleship brings about evangelism. And so, when you begin, it is the aspect of obedience of Christ's followers. When we are growing, and we're learning, and we're imitating Jesus, and we're being discipled, and we're growing our faith, it is going to impel us to evangelize to somebody else. And see, those disciples, the same thing. They're growing, they're teaching, they follow Jesus. What? Now, I'm commissioning you to do what I've taught you. I'm commissioning you to reach the world. And it is out of the obedience that they begin to be blessed. It's obedience that the church is blessed. See, when we stop, when we stop making disciples, when we stop evangelizing, when we stop telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ, the church is stagnant and the church is dead. And it is unfortunate that there are a lot of churches that are stagnant and are dead because they've forgotten what God has commissioned them to do. Because we're just okay and we're content with our lives. And we forget about the rest of the world, who he loves, who he died for, and wants to redeem. And so we're so concerned with our own, our own way that we forget that there's a dying world that needs to know Jesus. And so as he begins to say this, let me just tell you this. As this local church, I can promise you this. Our goal is not to be stagnant and is not to dry up. We are not going to be stagnant and we're not going to be, be dry. So what do I mean by that? I mean this. I mean we are going to be concerned about people who need to know Jesus. We are going to live a life that is pleasing, holy, and acceptable to Him. We are going to live a life where someone says this, say, hey, what's so different about you? It's Jesus. Where do you go to church? See, we're going to live as the salt and the light. I'm committed to that. I'm committed as a a church body that this is what we're going to do. Because I don't, listen, I don't want people just to, hey, hey, we got you to church and everything's good. No, we want people to grow. That's why we're doing our groups. That's why we're doing this grow group. That's why we're going to continue to do this. And so we are going to make an effort and we are going to make a promise that we are going to grow and not be stagnant. Because we're here to what? Give hope and wholeness through Jesus Christ. If we stop doing that, then the church is going to dry up. See, we're we're not going to do that. See, if we fail the disciple, we're communicating to people that there's nothing more and there's nothing to encounter after you've come to know Jesus. There's a whole lot more to encounter about Jesus. There's a whole lot more that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. He came to give this life to the fullest. Not just to 1%, not to 10%, but to the full 100%. And we want to live and we want to grow and we want to move in it. See, because our hope is, is that we are going to see and, and see people that they know that there is more to just converting. There is more to walking the Christian life. And so, as a church, we're committed to this, and I'm committed to this, to this process. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to continue to teach the Word of God and all that He's instructed. You can count on that. You can hold me to that. You know what else we're going to do? We're going to start baptizing people. That's what we're going to do. Because we're calling Great Commission, so we're going to teach the Word. We're going we're to start baptizing, and guess what? I can tell you this. I, my hope is that if you have not been baptized you get baptized. And you make a public declaration to people, I'm following Jesus, there's no turning back, there's no turning back. And you take that step of faith, and you take one step in your faith journey and see what God does. Because we're committed to teaching, we're committed to baptizing, and we're committed to evangelizing as well. And so, as a church, we're going to be committed, and I'm telling you, there is nothing... There is nothing greater in someone's life or as the body of church to watch someone and witness the transformation of Jesus in their life. There's nothing greater. There is nothing greater than a story, I was this way and now I've been transformed. So we are going to do that. We are going to continually do this. That is our, my promise to you, as a promise to the local church. We are not going to We are not going to stop matter of fact, we're going to continue and start this. And then the other thing is this is as a church, we're going to be committed, but you as a follower need to be committed. Because you are the church. Every believer is the church. And what I mean by we have to be committed, we have to be committed to surrounding ourselves with people who are going to imitate Jesus. Let me just, just tell you this. See, the goal of the church is what? To make disciples. Evangelism is important, but discipleship is, is kind of gets to you to evangelism. But here's what I want you to understand. Merriam-Webster defines a disciple as one who accepts and assists in spreading the doctrine of another. What are we spreading? Jesus. By your lifestyle, by what you say, what you communicate. We have the greatest news ever. We have the greatest news. We have the greatest news. And see, here's what... It's interesting. With rabbis, here's what they believed. If you were a disciple, you got so close to them that you imitated them that you're often referred to as a son. So think about this. It's pretty interesting. When Jesus says, blessed are, when he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. You know what the Jewish people thought? Blessed are the peacemakers for they are disciples of God what they thought. And it's interesting how he, he begins to say that. But here's what I want you to, to do. As this, and in being a disciple, I want you to not only begin to have encounters with Jesus, but I want you to surround yourself with people who imitate Jesus. And what I mean by that is, is we're going to be committed to saying, hey, Jesus, I want you to fill my life up each and every day. That you have to be committed and say, God, I want you to speak to you. I want you to, to move on my life. I want more of you, and I want to begin to uh, be fulfilled. I want to live life to the fullest. And so when you begin to do that, then you say, okay, Lord, well, I need, I need to be around people who imitate Jesus. See, this is why we're doing the group. The reason why we chose the breaker because I believe, and even myself, I'm not there yet, we all have to be released, and we all have to find freedom in Jesus. And I tell you what, this group is one of the best things because you begin to see day or day, week after week, we begin to surround ourselves with people who have the same goals, aligning the same direction, and who are we aligning ourselves with? Jesus. We want Jesus to perfect us. We want Jesus to heal us. We want Jesus to bring freedom to us. We want Jesus to do amazing things in our life. And so we're being authentic. We're we're growing and we're moving in that. And I'll tell you what, there is nothing like that group when we get to the end and we go, okay, so how did this speak to you? And I'll tell you what, I glean from everyone else's what they say. I learn from them. It's amazing. It, it's like the Proverbs says, you, iron sharpens iron. They be, the p- people in this group begin to speak to me and minister to me as well. And, and it is so wonderful that we're all working together and moving because we're imitating God. We're imitating Jesus. And when you imitate Jesus, he begins to transform our lives. And he's doing that in, in this group. So here's what I'd say to you real quick. Moving forward. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. First of all, If you've never given your life to Jesus, that's your first step. First step. Oh, I did when I was a kid and I walked away and blah, blah, blah. I'm not sure. Still, give your life to the Lord. Second is this. If you've given your life to the Lord and you've never been baptized, get baptized. Let's get baptized. Okay, let's make a public public declaration that there's no turning back. Third, okay, third one is this is I want you to be committed to grow. Committed to grow. Grow in this church. I'm telling you what, if you want to be a part of this group, we can make, make a way for you to be part of this group. We're going to have another group in January. Be committed to grow and not sit. We are called to make disciples. We're called to be disciples so we can evangelize. And th- fourth is this. All of you in here, including myself, let's begin to ask the Lord for ordained moments in our lives where we can tell someone about Jesus. So this week, let's just, let's just say to the Lord, hey God, this is what we want in our lives. I want to rub shoulders with someone and ordain appointed a, a, a moment where we can reach someone for Jesus. And Holy Spirit, fill me up, because I might be nervous, but fill me up so that I can speak the truth in their lives. See, the, the amazing thing is, is that Jesus took these men who didn't know what he was going to do. He had no house. He didn't know where he was going to lie down. And they followed him. They were compelled to follow something about Jesus. And when they begin to follow Jesus, what happens? And they begin to believe. He didn't say, hey, believe me, I'm the Messiah. What did he say? Follow me. And after falling, they're going, There's something different about this guy. They're, they're compelled to believe in this Messiah, and, and, and they believe in who he is. And they believed, and then he begins to teach them, and he begins to disciple them. And what? The church grew out of these 11 guys. It's unheard of. You take, this, you take these 11 guys who, who begin to start the church and grow the church on Jesus, who's the cornerstone, and now people meet all over the world under the name of Jesus. There's no way in the world that that should have ever left the Roman Empire. But it did because all authority and all heaven was given to him. And so we can do this. And today we have an opportunity. We, you and I, have an opportunity to be disciples and to move in that direction. As a church, we have the ability to move in that direction. So I want us to understand this. We're going to make disciples. We're going to go. We're going to baptize, and we're going to teach. All that the Lord has commanded us. Because why? Discipleship brings about evangelism. The Lord discipled these men, and they in turn changed the world. And that's what I want for this church. Thanks for listening. And if you would like more information on our church, or you'd like to visit us in person, you can go to basinchurch.org. And as always, we hope this content helps you on your faith journey.